The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy. Today, we're kicking off a series of three podcasts leading up to NERA's DNI Gala on March 22nd, where Anita Hill is the keynote speaker. Here are the three podcasts in reverse order. The third one, to be released in about a month, will be with Ed Hurley Wales, the VP of Diversity and Inclusion at ADP. In about two weeks, we'll be releasing Lydia Green, the CHRO of Tufts Health Plan. And now you'll be hearing my interview with Frank McCarthy, who founded one of the first diversity recruiting firms before it was called Diversity and Inclusion, Xavier Associates, about 40 years ago. And today, Frank is still focused on that work as the principal and founder of his firm, Diverse Workplace. I can't imagine a more unique career path than Frank's. He started in the priesthood, which led him to mission work in the community, and then felt it was his duty to serve his country in the military and became a paratrooper in the U.S. Army. Frank shares how challenging the corporate environment was at the time with regard to diversity hiring, some of the things he did to help many of them take positive steps in this area. Frank's authenticity comes right through in this interview, and he is really ahead of his time and at the vanguard of the diversity recruiting space. Now, I bring you Frank McCarthy. Here we are with Frank McCarthy, the founder of Workplace Diversity, also the founder of Xavier Associates. And I'd like to say that, Frank, you're also kind of the godfather of diversity recruiting in this Boston area. And uh, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you as a guest. It's nice to be here. Thank you. In fact, I wouldn't be here without you and working at Keystone <laughs> because a... you placed my boss at Keystone. <laughs> I don't know how many years ago that is. It's I'm almost be at least twenty years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I've been at Keystone eighteen years. You placed have you really? Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 And uh, you placed Elaine Varellis when did. when Winter Wyman was spinning off a new division of outplacement. Right. Uh, before we're going to talk a lot about diversity and how diversity has evolved over the years, how you got into it um, as well and started your business with Xavier. But I thought maybe it'd be good for our listeners to hear what are the things early in your life that helped form who you are as a person and that led you to become who you are as a professional over the years? Okay, I grew up in Medford in the 1930s and 40s and uh, went to Catholic school, played a lot of ball, and then I went to VC High. VC High was very def- difficult for me. It was, it was a big transition. And, uh, you know, we took Latin, Greek, and French, three languages. Oh, the academics were difficult. The academics, oh, yeah. boy. But after a while, they, they did well. But then in the last year, I, I just decided I'd give it a shot. I'd take the exams anyway. Mm-hmm. So then if I don't pass the exams, that's the bargain. So I get in. I went to St. Dan Clements Hall, which is part of St. John's, uh, and then uh, went through the eight years there and learned an awful lot. Uh, Where was that? St. John's Seminary in Brighton. In Brighton, yeah. Yeah. And uh, went to St. Clements Hall, which is the first we had. We had 70 guys in my class. The class picture over there you can see on the wall. Oh, yeah. The number of guys that were ordained all through. We had 70. Uh, I can uh, vouch for everybody listening. I can see the picture right on the wall. That's right, right now, yeah. Frank's office. And the uh, most of those guys, I'd say 59 of them were from Boston. And the other 10, there were 70 guys all together. And now, this is how many years later, since 1956, and there were only 10 of us left 
in that class. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So I went to the seminary, St. John's invited me. I decided, Boston was so crowded with priests. I mean, we had tons of priests. And we had different missionaries coming all over from all over the world talking to us about leaving Brighton. And they, were, they didn't need priests in Boston at the time. Well, they, they said they did. They oh, they said they did. Five, yeah. <laughs> five to seven in a parish. And, and now they have one guy covering two or three parishes, which is very different. Yeah. So uh, in the last year, I, I went to the rector, and there were five of us out of the 70 that decided we'd like to go to different dioceses. Mm. So we went to see Cushing. It was funny. Cushing was very tough and a tough guy, but a lovely guy. And so the five, the guys went to Baker City, Oregon, Yakima, Washington, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and then uh, one went to Connecticut. And then when he, I was the last one in, he said, do you want to be a cowboy too? I said, no. I said, I want to work in a big city with poor people. He said, you can do that in Boston. I said, not for 10 years. And uh, he started laughing. He said, do you know Why what? not for 10 years? You weren't because allowed you're, to. Because you're always out in the country. Uh, you didn't get into a big city parish okay. all that time. I see. And so he... Uh, he said, do you know anything about Patterson, New Jersey? I said, no, I never heard of it. He said, no, I don't know it either, but the bishop's a good guy and he needs priests. That's where you're going. So I, I went to Patterson, was ordained, went to, started out in Passaic, New Jersey, huge city parish. They had a high school, three general hospitals, a ton of nursing homes, all kinds of people. There were nine different uh, national parishes, and different, uh, every kind of, every nationality you can think of. And it was great. Uh, I went there and, and as a young guy, you know, in Boston, you never get that. I was made the pre you know, pre-marriage counseling sure. uh, director for the diocese, which was not even ordained two months. But that's because I had nobody else. So the, the, there are a lot of funny stories that go with that. But the one I'll tell you is he said, okay, now it's time for you to give somebody anointing who's dying. And uh, in the Catholic faith, there's, there are three ways to anoint people. If it's an animal, an accident or a death or real quick, you just give them the sign of the cross with the, the, uh, the oil. Uh, if it's a longer one, it's a sick person you can take, you know, maybe about 15 minutes, the ceremony goes. So we went to see her. I'll never forget, God rest her, her name was Rose McGarry. She was 82. She was dying. And, and Charlie Paul said to me, okay, you're going to do the whole thing. So I did. I took the book out. But I did all three. I did the short one, the middle one, and the long one. And he busted me something fierce on the way. He says, you jerk, you did the whole thing. She lived for two years. I, I never let him forget it. <laughs> she lived for two years. So then I, I, I was touched by the military, and I, I went to see the bishop, and he said, gee, you're very young. Do you want to go? And he said, you can't So why, why was, what was driving you to the military? Well, all point? my family, all my uncles were in Navy, mm-hmm. all doing all the wars, and one of them was killed. I felt guilty. Everybody I grew up with was in the military from Medford. Everybody. They all went in the service, and they used to. I, I get one of the guys who was killed in Korea. Before he died, I got a letter from him saying, I'm over freezing my butt off, getting shot at, and you're playing ball and ba- basketball and football all, every day. Never forgot it. You know, he was kidding and all that. Yeah. But so when I went to But you see, felt like it was your duty. I was well, yeah. an American, and, and you know, yeah. everybody my age had been in the service. So uh, I, I uh, went to see the, the bishop came down for, for uh, confirmation, Bishop, bishop Nelton, and he said, uh, How you doing, Mac? And I said, Great, can I come see you? He said, uh, What's the matter? You're not happy? I said, Oh, I'm. This is the greatest place in the world, Bishop. I'm very, very happy, but I want to go in the service. You're too young, way too young. And he said, uh, <laughs> so "What are you, 19 at the time?" No, no, I was. I've been a priest three years. I was okay. So you were 29. Oh, okay. You had done 20, it for a long 20, time. 29, yeah. yeah. He said, uh, "You have to wait 10 years. I should be too late." He says, "Too late." So yeah, I said, uh, "I told him about the guy in Korea, and he said, all my buddies are Marines, and I want to do them one better. I want to be a paratrooper." And he said, that's not a very spiritual reason. He said, yeah, but it's the truth. And he stopped laughing. He said, call me during the week and let me go. 
He let you go? Yeah, and there were four or five so guys. So 29 out. years old, 29 you, when the, you went, when the, the, went, the, went to the paratroopers. Yep. Well, I went to Fort Benning yeah. uh, training and then uh, went to chaplain school in January. Went to Benning in September, went to chaplain school, came back. And I really wanted to go to jump school, but I was assigned to a unit that was going to Korea. And that was the 2nd Infantry. The colonel was a good guy. He says, I'd really like to go to gym school. I says, great, go ahead. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, give you, I'll give you the week off. And I went to, I went to gym school. And man, I learned, I learned more about myself in the four weeks of gym school. And because it's, uh, there's no, I mean, I was, my number was 11. No, 26 was my number. And you just had the number on your helmet. And when they found out I was a chaplain, they really busted me fierce. Really? I mean, we want a volunteer to go out to 40, the 20-foot tower, the 25-foot tower, the 100-foot tower. That's it. You're not. You're 26. You're a volunteer. Thank you very much. And they did that. Everything. The first. And but it was great for me because I got to know all the guys, mostly West Pointers. So one of the one of the sergeants that was really tough on me and everybody, but mostly me. I found out later he was from Lowell, but he picked on me for everything, every single thing. And so, uh, and they got. And as a result of it, I got to know everybody in the class. They all knew who I was. And uh, so what happened? I was going to Korea. My whole unit was assigned to Korea, and the. Senior chaplain priest said to me, "Hey Mac, I uh, I kind of do the character guidance for the the uh, the NCO Academy to the NCO. All these guys that are sergeants that are going to go to be sergeant majors, and there were two hundred, two or three hundred guys in the class. He says, will you take the class?' Me, I said, sure. I, I, he said, you want my notes?' I said, I'll, I'll 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 do I'll do a character guidance class. So I'm waiting to go in. It's all you spit and polish. I mean, everybody, you could you could see your face in their shoes. Uh, there's sunshine so much, and I'm waiting there." And uh, I was a lieutenant, and I saw all the guy. Who goes in but Sergeant Benoit, the guy who really gave me an awful time in jump school. Mm. So uh, they all went, so all spit and polish. So I walked, in, I walked from behind the podium and said, gentlemen, before I begin, I have a serious uh, moral question to answer. I said, there's a sergeant, there's a sergeant here. I just finished jump school. The sergeant here who made my life miserable more than anybody. And he's in the class now, and I really want to get him. You know, I'm from a place in Boston called Medford, and we don't let guys get away with stuff. I said, but I'm a chaplain. What should I do? And they said, get him, get him, get him, the whole place. <laughs> so I said, Sergeant Bologna. He says, yes, sir. He jumped up. He says, do you remember me? I said, yes, sir. I said, yeah, yes, sir, I do remember you. I said, get in the front leaning, get in the front leaning rest position, and I'll figure out what I'm going to do with you. The front leaning rest position is the push-up position. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, he, and, I, and I talked for an hour. <laughs> he was in the push-up position the whole hour. I felt great. I was, so what happened? And he, he came by and said, sir, do you have a minute? I said, sure, Sergeant. How are you doing? He says, I, I'm sorry to get you. He says, well, you got me. He said, I said, not as much as you got me. He says, listen, Father. He said, I, I hear you going to Korea. Wish you the best. Uh, I'll keep you in my prayers like that. And, we, and that was it. To our career. When I came back, I was assigned to the 101st Airborne back in the, back in the paratroopers and did that for two years. And I was trying to make up my mind whether to stay in the service. I think I really wanted to stay in the service. Mm. But we had a new bishop, and I wrote to him. I said, I'd like to stay in the service. And he said, I think you've had enough of the service, you know, after six years. So he said, I want you to get out. And so I did uh, after my tour of duty was up in Japan. And then the uh, first thing I did was join the National Guard. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years. It was the National Guard. But it, the bishop, first thing, the first uh, meeting I had with him, he said, I'm sending you to a parish. Uh, where the pastor is, had a lot of trouble. It was a very, very wealthy parish, and uh, and he said that. Uh, so he wanted the he wanted the pastor removed, and I don't think I'll tell that story. But what happened uh, after I was there, probably six months, 
They where was this? This where? was in Parsippany, New Jersey. Okay. They removed the they removed the pastor, made me administrator, uh, and I was still. Usually in those days in the Catholic Church, you in Patterson especially, you probably ordained twenty twenty five years before you got a parish, and uh, so I was administrator, and then I knew I was going to stay there because it's a beautiful parish and very one of the top parishes. So I did that for about three months. You knew you wouldn't stay. Long. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, because I, I, everybody wanted that parish. Ah. So uh, then I went to another parish with the same problem. I said, "Oh boy, this is going to be a great life." Mm-hmm. And uh, but after a couple of what I didn't realize is what the bishop was looking, just getting to know me and, and what, what I could do and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so he called me in one night. He said, "I'm making you administrator of Our Lady of Lourdes on River Street in Patterson." I never, never been there. Even though you were there before, I, I, I was I was never in Patterson. Always in Passaic. Oh, okay, Passaic. Patterson's okay. Patterson's a tough. So I look. I must look very proud of myself. He said, "Don't get a big head, boy. Number of folks, number of guys, turn it down. They want to be there, and you don't have a choice. So I want you to uh, make me, my black was right. Our Little is on River Street, which is uh, right right on the corner of the black and Latino communities. Maybe a mile from downtown, uh, where all the black families live." So, and I, I said, this is going to be great. And because in the military, the, the whole black issue was not a big thing. We had, you didn't give a damn who jumped beside you, you know, mm. as long as you knew what he was doing. Mm. When I went there, it was a very poor parish, uh, all kinds of debt, all kind of, and I had a school, beautiful school, which we, part of it was condemned because of this stuff. So we really get into, you know, fixing the school, building addition. And I tore all that. We, had, we owned three, three tenements. I tore those down and made a big, Playground. And we had eighteen backwards in the playground, and the, and the guys who played, the men and women, boys and girls who played there, were either black, Latino, uh, Italian, or but mostly mostly black and Latino. And uh, but the kids were always there. And any one of the priests was going out on an errand or doing something. First thing you know, a bunch of kids were in the car. Yeah, you took them out, get them ice cream and stuff like that. Uh, so but, you were pretty well embraced oh, when you joined. Oh yeah. By the community. Oh yeah. 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 Funny story was, which is the true story, I brought a bunch of Marino nuns and Dominican nuns and one other priest with me because I wanted to start a, a community, a Catholic community center right in the middle of Patterson. And I had already rented a place. And the young priest that was with me, John Simonette, he uh, he really wanted to go and live on the street. We couldn't tell him. We didn't tell the bishop that. But he, he uh, so we, we rented a big, the whole fifth floor and then was six families living there in the top floor. Uh, part of the top floor, and Red lived there, and uh, ne- didn't get any permission at all. And, and I had three or four priests working, and nobody told them the diocese that we were doing. Then we had a new bishop named Casey from Rochester, New York, who was great, unbelievable. We went toe to toe all the time, uh, but I loved him, and uh, he, he really did great stuff in the black community. Uh, but before that, I brought these nuns down. I had my collar on, and uh, we had already rented the place, and we we're going to build a Catholic community center. Uh, and what happened, I was met, we were met by a bunch of guys who were the black leaders. And they really told me off in, in very... Um, colorful language? Very colorful language in front of the nuns. So I listened to them, and, I, and I, who's the, I could pick right away who the boss was. And I said to him, we'll call him Tony. I said, Tony, we're having the service? He said, yeah, I was in the service. What the hell is that? What's that up to you? I said, well, I just wanted you know what the, you know what the first sergeant is? He said, yeah, the first sergeant owns your ass. I said, okay. My bishop is my first sergeant. He said for me to come here and bring all these nuns with me, and that's what I'm going to do. He said, you want to be here? I said, yeah. 
And that was, as God is my judge, that was the only fight I had in, in the black community all, all, for the next five years. It was the military connection that Probably the saw the two connection. of you through that, Whatever. it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. But it was very trying time. Uh, mm. All kinds of things happened. There were shootings. Uh, unbelievable stuff happened. We were all given a hard time by the police, by everybody. Mm. Uh, uh, I'll tell you one. Even you were given hard time. Oh yeah. Uh, what, what, why? Because we were working in the black community. We were, I tell you one quick story, uh, which is kind of an example of what happened. Whenever we went out from in the, the cars were parked in the playground, in the back was the back of the rectory, and uh, it was always mobbed. So when you got the kids, would say, "Hey, far away, you going? Can we come?" And and so they get in, they go to ice cream or do something. Or this day, where I had a bunch of kids in the car, I was going to the chancery office or something. And we're down in. And uh, right down near all the traffic in downtown Patterson. And uh, this cop started giving me, stopped the car, blew his whistle, came over and called me all kinds of names in, in colorful language. You were uh, working with those and used the N-word in front of all the kids. Mm. And I, so I jumped, I put the car, I turned the key off, jumped out of the car, and went, at, went like this to him. And he, he, uh, went for, he went for, I said, don't go, I'm not going after you. I just want to see your badge number. Because my next stop, is the chief of police, who was a former paratrooper, who who was get out of the army as the lieutenant colonel, and was a great friend of mine. And uh, then you know what he said? The guy said to me after calling me all these names in, in colorful languages, "Chief Father, don't, I'm a Catholic. Don't 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 don't, don't squeal on me." I said, "You're gonna do what you're gonna do," and that was it. But those kinds of things happened yeah. all the time. I took a leave of absence and and uh, came home, and I I don't know what, I really didn't know what I was gonna do. And I took this leave of absence, came home. Uh, back to Boston. Back to Boston. And I lived with my sister. Uh, then I got an apartment in Weymouth. Uh, didn't know what to do. Got a job uh, teaching at Dorchester High. Uh, so you left the, I le I left, left the church? I, I, resi I resigned. resigned from the priesthood. Yeah. Well, I took a year's leave of absence. A years, yeah. And then uh, when, when uh, and the Bishop, the Bishop Casey was great. I, I stayed in touch with them all the time. And so what happened... Uh, I taught. I taught at the Dutchess High. Was this was in nineteen seventy-two, mm -hmm. and uh, so you go right back to the inner city. Yeah, and, and, the, yeah. and like, well, that's was, once you do that, that's your life, you know. So what happened? I went back to. I, I taught at Dutchess High. They put me in guidance. They said, "You know how to talk to those people." And uh, is that the way they phrase? That's it? the way they phrase it. You know how to talk to those people. So I did that for about five months. Then I, uh, I different people, guys I knew who left the priesthood. Uh, Got jobs in the poverty programs, the office. So what happened? The, the sad thing that happened. I, I went to the federal government, and it was a good job, and I loved it. I was working in I had community action programs in Providence, and helped them set up all the programs and how to spend the money. It was fun. I wish I had that when I was in Patterson. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Uh, one of the guys I knew who had left the priesthood uh, called me and said, "Would you speak to a, another guy who left?" And I did. I said, "Boy, this this guy really needs help." Helped him get into treatment, and then he came down. He and the other guy came down here for Christmas. Come down to Brighton, and then he, yeah, one of them left, and then this guy stayed. The one who was sick stayed with me, and then we went for a walk. About oh, it was got to be 10, 10, 11 o'clock at night, uh, and he uh, a week or so later killed himself, mm. and it it, uh, it really bothered me. To this day, it bothered me, and and so I started working with guys who were thinking of leaving the priesthood. And we probably worked. So you're almost uh, just like a, a mentor to them, or well, like just a, somebody trained them. Like you know, they didn't know how to get into business. They didn't know how right. to didn't know how to write a resume. I mean, there was. I, I had the grace. I had the, the you know being in the military, 
and then being on my own. Uh, you had a lot of life experience had, that, yeah, the you, experience could, that yeah. you could figure things out. And, if I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't would know where to go to get help to, mostly. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, started doing that, work with guys all over the country. And then uh, I said to Zeal, and I said, I'm going to start my own business. And she said, uh, go ahead, I'm used to being poor. <laughs> That's her exact, <laughs> those were exact words. And so I, I, uh, I started this. I started... Uh, Started Xavier right there? I started then Xavier. Uh, started on, uh, I, Is that your middle name? Yeah. Xavier, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Jenny's. I said, I'm going to call it McCarthy Associates. She says, Boston is full of McCarthy's. You know, use your middle name. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's, that's going to be very different. I said, you're crazy. She said, try it. And so I did. And it worked. Yeah. It did work as well. And I got into. Uh, so it was from helping priests that were leaving the priesthood. You're kind of a placement or a co- coaching. Almost like almost like our industry is almost outplacement right. for, yeah. for really priests. Yeah. And then you decided, I want to do this full time. I want to become a placement. So I did specialist. Yeah, and I and I wanted to f- focus on diversity. So now how, it wasn't probably called diversity at that point, right? Was it called diversity uh, at that community? Point? It was community action. It community was, action was, uh, was a lot of different changes. And how did you come to that decision? I want to focus on diversity because what I saw in Patterson, the stuff I saw in Patterson, and how unjust things were, and how. Uh, then even at Dutchess High, how the kids were not really, in those days, getting a, sh- a fair shot. Uh, that that the black community wasn't was not was terrible. It was just you know, and get off on a on a tirade on that. There was no equal no equal rights for people at all. And so what happened? Uh, I, I started this, and, and everybody laughed at me. And I it, it, because doing diversity, I wanted I wanted to work in civil rights and, and uh, for one of a better name, but just. Uh, and I was kind of I was kind of laughed at by a lot of people. Uh, but started people going, what in business or oh, yeah, friends yeah. of yours from the military? Or, no, or just people that yeah. different. Just people. Went, yeah, uh, I told you about Russ White. This the story about Russ. No, no, you should. I mean, we have to talk okay. about Russ White. Is this a Russ, good time to talk about it? Perfect time because Russell, uh, I placed him, I placed him five times over the years, and we became he and his wife. He placed his wife at, at Digital too. And digital. How was, did you meet Russ first of all? He just dropped in the office one day when I was. So you're at Xavier. You started. No, there. I was. I started in Providence. Okay, first and, it started in Providence. And, and Russell dropped in. He never had a, you know, always worked on the street, and he was a very street person, but very could be very polished. He could be, he, he could be a, a fifth, fifth Avenue gentleman. He was so polished, but he was a, he was a street guy, and so uh, I got him some interviews, and he, he got hired at ITT Grinnell. That was the first one, and we got to be great friends, and then. Uh, I got a, a chance to go to this major company in Boston, and uh, and it was my really first sales call. So uh, I said, "Gee, this I was skate stiff," and and that was a major company, and it was with, at two vice presidents, both uh, probably both Catholics too, I think. But uh, were they HR? Or were they oh, just yeah, hiring yeah, managers? Oh, no, okay. HR, okay. HR, HR leaders. Yeah, and, you know, not the top of you, but pretty high. Pretty high. Yeah. So I asked, "Gee, can you take a day off and come with me?" He said, sure, sure, you know, you can do that. And so, why did you invite him? I just said, because I know I was going to talk about diversity stuff. And, and uh, we didn't call it diversity. I was going to talk about civil rights or equal rights and all that. Equal rights, yeah. yeah. So uh, Russell came, and these two guys started making fun of us. Uh, and In they, front of you? Yeah, and they said, geez, Kathy, you're a priest, and now you're doing this stuff, and you're working with... They used the N-word a couple of times, and uh, I lost it. I, and Russell's, too, you know, he's a tough guy, but he, he knows when to pick a fight. And... and uh, so I and after a while I just very clearly told them off, 
and, and uh, these two, the two HR people yeah, at from, the big company. Uh, yeah. for their and, uh, attitude. On right. the way back to the parking lot, Russell said, uh, "What did you think of that?" He said, "I told those mothers." He says, "Yeah, you sure did." He said, uh, "You know what they're doing now?" I said, no, "I don't care what they're doing now." He said, "They're tearing up your lovely brochure, and they're tearing up your business card, and they're saying." Don't let that nut in here again. I said, what, Russ, what do you want me to do? Sell my soul? I said, no. He said, I wanted you to act. I, I expected that you to act like you do when we're on the street fighting. You're, you're always, what do you do? I said, you find common ground. You're not going to get any place. Like you did in Patterson. Yeah. You're going to, you're not going to uh, tell them off. Or you're not going to get any place. You find common ground and you, you, I said, yeah, but this is business. Said, no, it's not. You're going to do this. If, and it's just, you know, and Russ is a tough guy. He said, I care for you very much. You know that. He said, but I'm telling you, if you can't change that Irish temper and, and do it like and act like you do in the street, then get the hell out of this business. And it changed my life. It really did. Mm. It, uh, I, t- I tell him I tell that story. I don't tell it often. But uh, but that, what, what was the cause of it? And then I so, what, so like after that, when you encountered, first of all, I'd be curious, what was your sales pitch when you went into companies like this that... Uh, what, what what were you selling? I guess is- I, I'd say this is this is who I am. This is my background. I, I I want to work on diversity. I learned very quickly that I had to do more than diversity if I wanted to stay in business. Okay. So I started hiring people to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so you're placing people placing of all types. All, all yeah. of it. I eventually had I had 24 people when I sold it. Yeah. And uh, but after I got going, I had you know people of color and and. Uh, and we did a lot of what we started doing very early on, probably the first ones. And you know, I'm not taking credit for anything, but we probably were the first in Boston. We called it research, but it's it's sourcing. Uh, so we would build. I knew that people would say to me, there aren't black people who can do this. I said, there are. And so what I would do is build them a database free of all the people who are software engineers, who are this, who are that, who are black. And, it, you know, it really got me to meet a lot of people. But I, and Russell, so Russell would take days off and come around work with me and say, you're not making any money. You're just doing this and you're proving to the people, if they don't know it, then you get them to know it. I don't know what they do about it. But he says, you got to start, you know, you're building these databases for nothing and you got to start making some money or get the hell out of the business. So I said, they're not going to do it. Russ, they don't want black folks anyway. But listen, they do and they know they have to do it. He says, you know, they're going to hire people from that research, and you're not going to get a fee out of that. We'll show you how to do that, too. So I started selling research, uh, and it took off. It really took off. So you weren't actually making the direct connection. You were providing them a way that they can make the connections themselves? Where, uh, where they, they, that they, for example, they want to hire a mechanical engineer. Right. And then we, we know, especially in Rhode Island, we know there aren't any black people out there. So I put together. They will say that to you. Oh, they your say clients. That. After we they get to know me, right. first time they they think I'm nuts. In those days, what's yeah. a white guy doing this kind of stuff for? And, <laughs> yeah, and I was curious about that. Well, that's you a, used uh, to hear that a lot. Oh, yeah. I used to, you said this, that laughing. And, yeah. And, uh, did you always tell them the story, or did you no, skip over I, it? I because just, I mean, I think what you've shared already it explains why. Yeah, you and ended I think up a lot of them put that a lot of them put that together. Yeah. But then it started really going, and the companies that were the leaders were Polaroid, unbelievable. I used to go to Polaroid to walk around. It was, it was, I was so at home there. Yeah. Digital too. Yeah. At, at, uh, and why, did, why were those companies starting to shift their thinking? Because they, they hired all kinds of people. And people, they, they had, didn't have any women and people of color. And they, the, the leadership realized that, that they're going to be, yeah. they're going to be targets for a lot of companies. A lot of other companies are. And they could be leaders in this. Olson was unbelievable, the guy. Uh, 
and the people. Ken Olson, yeah. Yeah, the, the team that they oh, put yeah. together, it'd be great. And I could, I, if I had nothing to do, I'd go to the digital and walk around the cloud mm. and get to know people. And that would do workshops, uh, do workshops uh, on, on what? On diversity, on yeah. recruiting, how to, how to find, how to do research. Oh, so you'd help them train their own recruiters oh, yeah. inside. Yeah, we did a lot of that. Frank, I wanted to ask you, how did your business start to change? Now, it sounds like you would do, you explained, you were doing the research that, and they were starting to pay you for it. And then these big companies around Boston that were the regular big movies, tons of Digital Wang, Polaroid, State yeah. Street, they were starting to tap into your resources. Did your business start to evolve at some point when new companies were coming on? And how did, when did it shift to more placement? Because you started doing more placement, right? So, oh, what, lot more placement, so yeah. what happened? What was the shift, but, I guess, is what I want to... They realized that this we could produce diversity candidates. Okay. I, I didn't hear the word diversity for years. Yeah, I mean, so was, still at that time... They, was they, it... You know, candidates of color, all this. And yeah. digital, digital was a leader, Polaroid was a leader. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of the challenges in placement at the time? Now your business is starting to shift towards... A lot of them, the way people, where yeah. people of color were treated. Yeah. yeah. So what were, like what were candidates? What were candidates? Like women are treated today. It was... Yeah. It was... It was uh, and I'd hear back from candidates, and they, a lot of candidates would, you know, put up with the stuff, and then sooner they saw some better at a better company, they'd leave. Not everybody's going to be a saint, so. But what they did, they took a chance on putting people of color and women into senior positions, mm-hmm. though other companies didn't do it, and probably they wouldn't do it. But the, Olson and the rest of them pushed them to do it to get people of color. Mm-hmm. And and the wood get out. It was oh, it was really, it was great. Yeah. It was, so, did you get to meet him during that process? Well, I had a meeting, but not... not, not you weren't close with no, them now. No, no. no, close with the HR people. Like, yeah. Right. Uh, so that, that's that's kind of where it's at. And where it's at today is... It's, yeah, I was wondering, what, how would you compare, well, you know, the work and I diversity? Sold the, I sold the company in 99 to Bob Gaddy. Mm-hmm. Sold Xavier to Bob Gaddy. And, uh, and why? Why did you sell it? Well, it was a good opportunity. They, they, he really wanted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, you know, I could probably try to do something else. With and he, he was focused on... HR for most of his career oh, yeah. that I remember, oh, yeah. but at that point he I knew was... him in HR. I did work for him in HR. That's okay. how I get to know. And I helped him with his business. And uh, good guy, we, great we, guy. Yeah, we go toe to toe a lot, but he was a good guy. And uh, and so when he wanted to do this, I said, okay. So I had a three year non compete, and during that three years, I I didn't do much. You know, I, I did uh, stuff with the family. We moved here. I, I would I would probably do talks, do diversity. I did a lot of those. Uh, with different people, but of you color. were doing placement. I no. wasn't doing placement, and I missed it. So the, the day I had my finished my three years, I started diverse workplace, and I was. Jenny said to me, "I don't care if you start another business, but as soon as you hire somebody, you're out of here." So uh, I did, and I, I did you know searches, build databases, do some do some sourcing for companies, and and have done that. It, not that great, but it's been fun. It's hmm. it's a. Uh, uh, it's supporting, right? And it's it but, keeps your your toe in the game, right? Yeah, you, you, and and I, uh, but a lot of the people that I knew in the business were all out of it now. I mean, yeah. it's just uh, but now I'm I, I I'm still looking to do build. I, I just finished a, 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 a for a nonprofit. They really want to hire a senior person, and uh, and they don't have a diverse. Any, they're looking for a diverse. Well, candidate. they yeah. they said that they the switch that they have out. I don't know if it's with the switch or not, but. Uh, they're not seeing any people of color. Mm-hmm. So there's a person of color there that I've known for years. And she told him about us. And the guy called me and said, what can you do? And so I said, told me what it was. And, and I built me a database. And so I did. Uh, I built them a database of 20 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a good fit. Yeah. yeah, they would be. 
And that, that was the first phase, but they don't pay anything. They they got the they call me. We got it this morning. Call me right away. And I told him I'd talk to him later today. Mm-hmm. But uh, they a lot of companies like that, nonprofits. A lot of companies that they don't have any women and people of color in significant positions, and that's still a problem. Do companies realize it? Are they doing anything about it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. My my take is that they're not. Yeah, you uh, don't you don't see enough. Oh no, they don't enough see enough movement in this not area. Not, there's yeah. not enough action. So it sounds like you know there's been recent articles in the Boston Globe. I know you're the the, the series. I, that's what I was going to tell you about them. I printed them. Oh out. yeah, you yeah. 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 So and they're talking about what you're talking about yeah. right now that you're when not I knew seeing you were, enough change. Um, when I knew you were coming, I called a bunch of people I know of color, and and said, "Where is it at today?" Mm. I think I know, but I want to be sure. Yeah. So what I kind called, of things did you hear? I hear them. There's a lot of talk, and not a lot of talk. It sounds like a, a contradiction. But some people are talking about it. Some people are trying to. Uh, the I sometimes some of them think that the diversity job is going to go away. Uh, the directors of diversity. Uh, oh, the function. The function. Inside, yeah. Inside it, they, 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 the answer that I get when I you know we try to get with them is, says, "Oh, we, we have tons of people from all different kinds of countries. We really don't need diversity." Uh, oh, the the, uh, the answer you're getting is we have a very international. That's it. Employee base, yeah, 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 and that's the diversity. But I'm gonna, you know, in this this stage of my life, I'm, I'm uh, I think I want to focus on on just doing HR type jobs, mm. HR directors of diversity, but mostly HR because that's the that's the changing part of a company. If if there's a good HR person there, who not just because they they they're black and they they want to, is because. This is the wave of the future. Because they be, can control the culture. They can they can guide the culture amen. of the organization. Right? They can do it, and they can and they, and, and they can bring good people in. Right. And they, and they realize that the world is changing. Yeah. And a lot of these companies are going to be left behind, especially if this this new section of Boston really grows. And Frank, I'm glad you brought up HR because, you, as you know, we um, we at Keystone are uh, delivering this podcast in cooperation with Nira, who you know quite well as well, the organization. And we have the question of the podcast. We have a question we ask every time uh, about Nira, and that is, what advice would you give to somebody that's in the HR profession? I mean, you've placed a lot of senior HR people and know a lot of them to uh, move up in the function, to be more successful as an HR person. So somebody that's up and coming in HR, what advice would you give them? I'd I'd give them the advice to get to know Nira. To get to know Nira, I I know them fairly well. But they do, they're doing a lot of things, and to do more, to do more of the training things that they they do, uh, to realize that uh, they could be they are key players in diversity, and to, and, they and they do go after. Them. I mean, they're great people. In fact, this podcast is a lead into their diversity and inclusion oh, sure. gala, which is on March twenty second. That's yeah. part of yeah, why we're sitting down here today, right? Another question, Frank. Um, if you could write a letter to your thirty year old self, what would you write? I think I think one of the things would be. To learn, to really make a decision, what I want to do with my life, and find out, you know, at age thirty, a lot of people, are, you know, they're in the midst. They don't know what they really do. want to yeah. keep going in HR. And you told your story. You were sort of yeah. you were doing a lot of different things, and, right? And I would I would kind of do that, and then do different things that would help me train to do. I pick two or three things that I really like to do, whether it's stay in HR or to get into my own business, mm. and and do some homework on that. Take some courses if you if you can. Like find out different people have done that. And, and kind of plan for your future. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't do that. And they, they're in companies and they don't know what to do if something happens to the company. Uh, 
don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it does. So you're saying to, to focus on a few areas that you really want to go deep in. Yeah. Where do you want to be? You know, where do you want to be ten years from now? Yeah. You know, what do you want to do? What What moves you? What 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 would you, What would you like to change in the world? Yeah. What inspires uh, you? Right. Yeah. What Where would you like to What would you like to be remembered for? That's kind of corny, but yeah. Uh, but just to stay in the well, same. that's a good question. But I'll ask you. What do you want to be remembered for? You know, you've. What are you proudest of? I guess, Frank, in your career. A few things: serving in the military, uh, being a priest, working in the black community, getting married, adopting, adopting, having kids, having responsibility. You don't know how everybody lives. As a priest, you don't know how everybody lives. You really don't. Mm. Uh, you may think you do, but you don't. Well, fine. Why? Because people don't share completely. They don't share, yeah. and, and yeah. you know they're always on guard with the priest. And, mm. yeah. uh, not always, but yeah. Uh, it's not the real world. Mm. It's really not the world. It's becoming, it's probably going to be the real world before long. Yeah. My prayer is that they let women and married people become priests. It's, mm. it's, uh, yeah. that's the, and I don't know why they don't. Right. You might have, you might have stayed, you might have stayed in the priesthood, you know? Oh, I probably would have. Yeah. Oh, no question about it. Yeah. Uh, I would go back in a minute. Yeah. Uh, I talk to guys all the time. We'll go back in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of guys became ministers and, uh, during other faiths. Right. You know, something I was going to ask you before, Frank, um, You've placed a lot of people, and you've met a lot of people. Are there any interesting or or placement stories that you'd like to tell? You've told a few already, but any other you know people that you've placed or interesting placements you'd like to share? Quite a few. Yeah. Uh, any come to mind that you well, think when, when the HR community might like to hear about? There's a, I was working with a, a black woman in Connecticut, and she said to me, would you help my brother? She was from Africa and one of 19 children. Uh, very well educated. I, I kind of lost touch with her over the years. She had a, a brother, a younger brother, who uh, was working at Digital. And she said, he's probably going to want to move. I said, well, I'll look him up. You know, I'll, I'll talk to anybody. So I, I called him and, and he sent me his uh, resume. And I said, there's a mistake in your resume. You came here from Africa. You went to uh, Harvard and MIT. And you have a degree from Harvard and a degree from MIT the same year. I said, that's a mistake. Oh, no. That's not a mistake. I said, how'd you do that? He said, I worked hard. So he was he, going to classes at both, both universities. Schools, yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, and, and he uh, got these degrees. I said, gee, you know, how come, how'd you do that? How'd you spend all that time? He says, that's before I knew about women. I said, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and some of the other, there's some funny, a lot of funny things that happened too. One of the, one of the major firms, black-owned firms in Boston, had a new thing in the newspaper uh, that they were hiring this lady from Texas to start their search room, and uh, she's uh, she was running staffing for this organization. She was going to be when they were running the staffing organization. They did all kinds of stuff on race on racist issues, rate training, all that. Oh, kind so of they were in the same business as you? Not, not they went. They were, they they wanted to add to it. They went, okay, actually okay. they asked me if I'd come to work. Okay, with so it was said, they, no. they were going to add this to the yeah. uh, to a practice area. So okay. they're going to bring this lady in. I said, that's great. You know, Boston can use this. And, and yeah. uh, she was started as an airline stewardess, then got into doing some business stuff in Texas. So then Jane, her name was Jane Edmonds, who the company that's in Boston. I don't know if she's still around. I think she is. Hmm. Uh, I think her kids are running it now. But so she, this lady came to Boston. She called me and she said, this is, uh, her name is Leslie Mays. This is Leslie Mays. And every place you go, I hear your name. And uh, would you ever consider talking to your com- company? So I said, I'd love to. So she said, yeah. well, I said, want to meet for breakfast? And she says, yeah, that'd be great. So at the Boston Hotel, we 
I'm always early, so I, if it's seven thirty, I was up there at seven o'clock or seven. So I'm there, and I'm sitting in the in the, was like, in the winter time, and in walks this woman, and I said, Leslie Mays, and she goes, "You can't be Frank McCarthy." I said, "I am." You're white. I said, "Yeah." What am I going to do? I just, <laughs> and, and she was so surprised because she heard so many good things about the work you did. In the- yeah, but a lot of stuff like that happened. It's been it's been a lot. It's been sad. Some of the things that have happened have been very sad. Uh, how people are treated. Some I don't think I want to tell you those stories. But some of them are really some of the, the way in the early days and sometimes today the way people of color are treated mm. is is uh, is shameful. Well, what needs to be done, Frank? What would you? I guess you know, we're talking to HR Hire more people. people. Yeah. Hire so, more. what would you say to the HR leaders out there? What can what can they do to change um, the thinking inside their organizations? Is there any specific or yeah. advice to HR leaders that you'd like to don't, share? Don't put if you have three to five people interview for a job. Don't pick people of color just because they're people of color. Make sure that the people you get are really the, those people could walk away doing this job. Make sure people are really. And oh, then, so you see, I that see people. A, so they're putting somebody of color or somebody that's diverse into the mix, but they're really not qualified. They're, they're, not, just, they're, they're, not doing they're, the, they're not doing the sourcing work. They're not doing. First. They're not. They're not. Uh, they want to get people of color and have the record of having people of color interview. interview for the jobs. And sometimes, some companies are not serious about getting people of color who are qualified for the job. So why? What what happened? They why? just they they want to they don't want to get in trouble with they want to have blacks in the in the in the uh, in the interview list. They want to have people. They want to have diversity yeah. in there. But if they looked, if they spent the time and really screened the people well and made sure, don't put people in the, in the list of people to so, be interviewed if they're not qualified. So have diverse, qualified, diverse candidates. Yeah, qualified candidates is the end of line. If they're diverse, so what? That's what you want. You want to ah. get five eminently qualified people. And if you're serious about diversity, look hard for eminently qualified, diverse people. Put those in the thing. If they're not hired, uh, get the reasons why they're not hired. Uh, uh, and that's that's kind of painful. That's good advice. For, that is, a lot of companies won't do that. Uh, this, has been a, this has been a great ride. Very painful sometimes. Very uh, great sometimes, too. You mentioned, Frank, earlier, some people that really had a big impact on your career and your life. Who are some other leaders that really influenced you? Dave Melville was one. Dave was Dave was always who founded my company, yeah. Keystone. He, uh, I could always go to him with trouble. Another, his buddy Bill Ryan. Another, they used to bust me all the time, but they were uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, not being in the Navy and all that kind of stuff. But they were they were good guys. Military pride issues, yeah, right? Yeah, Which division yeah. you're in? Yeah. Yep. Carol Thomas was a, a black woman who's uh, worked for Gillette for a place, I think, and but she started her own business and she's still doing all around the world. She's on a boat today. Traveling to to someplace doing a diversity thing. Yeah, the guy that I told you about who worked at Digital that I stayed in touch with him all these years. He's unbelievable. The stuff that he's done with his life. Well, uh, Frank, we've talked a lot about where the progress hasn't gone as quickly as you wanted to with regard to diversity mm. and inclusion. What what progress have you seen? What what is what gives you hope with regard? Well, to- what gives me hope is that how so many people of color have made made it in big jobs. And made it in big walks of life, uh, not just money, but but the, and the thing that that I'm so impressed by and so I don't know what the word is, uh, so motivated by is how they give back, how they give back to other people of color, uh, like how they give back to everybody, but mostly and, and and once they make it, they don't pull the ladder up. I mean they're they're back hiring other people, 
If you could go to dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? I think I would go to dinner with the Pope. And and uh, there are a lot of people that I'd like to go to dinner with. But the Pope would be one piece. I think he's he's down to earth, and he's not being well-received by some of the cardinals because of stuff that he wants to do. I just like to tell him, I think that keep at it. You're doing a great job. Can I talk to you about women being priests? Because I think this guy, unless somebody shoots him, is going to be a big change. So, and and he's he's very open to other faiths, other religions, other people, and he's not judgmental. Of from my experience, from my reading about him and listening to him, he doesn't judge people, mm-hmm. uh, and he's not afraid to make the Catholic Church what it should be. Right. But I think there are a lot of other people I like to Haley Berry. I, I used to tell you know if I, if, if I want to get into somebody who said, "What are you doing today?" I said. Damn, Haley Berry's calling me again. I got to go out. And I just, <laughs> so it sounds like she's after the Pope. She'll yeah. be the second person that you want to go to dinner. I know. I may have thought that out. <laughs> I, I know she comes second to anybody. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, thank you, Frank, so much for being a guest of the podcast. Oh, this this is, is great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.